I want to welcome Becca Anderson. She's an Associate Solutions Consultant at Appian, and she's also a linguist who, who knows English, Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese, and who knows what's in the future in terms of languages. And that, that part, of, when I first met Becca, that part really wowed me that because I'm, I'm horrible at learning languages. So um, I'd love to hear that, that somebody else is better at that. So thank you for joining me today, Becca. Yeah, thank you for having me. So for those of you who haven't met you and had an opportunity to hang out a little bit and, and have a conversation with you, explain a bit about your background, uh, where you're from, who you are, and what you do. Sure, yeah. So I grew up um, outside Boston, Massachusetts, in a little town called Lexington. So the Battle of Lexington and Concord with the Minutemen, birthplace of America, shot her around the world. That was uh, that was my, my hometown growing up, which you know, always made the springtime fun because when everyone else is just having normal spring barbecues, we were having colonial reenactors dressing up in garb with Patriot's Day celebrations. I didn't realize till college, nobody else celebrated Patriot's Day. No. That was just a Boston area thing. Um, yeah, so I ended up going to Washington University in St. Louis for college for my bachelor's. And I ended up with you know, a linguistics degree, which was my initial pursuit. And then along the way, collected a Spanish degree as well. Uh, just because by the end of senior year, they had, they told me I had so many credits I needed to get the degree. So I just <laughs> accidentally picked that one up. But linguistics was definitely my passion project in college. And um, yeah, and so I graduated in the 2020, you know, COVID pandemic. So there were not a lot of job prospects but um, I had something lined up to move to DC and uh, that kind of fell through in the last minute just with the offer was you know, pushed back, the start date was pushed back twice and then the offer was rescinded. But at that point I had signed a lease. So I moved to, moved to Washington DC last year. And um, yeah, it was an interesting time to be in DC. Were, were you in DC at that time as well? I live right outside of DC. So yeah, I'm very familiar with it. It was very challenging at that time. Right. Yeah. So you kind of probably experienced that too. Like everything's shutting down. There's not really much to do. Everyone's starting to, you know, pick up long walks in the neighborhood for exercise. Like, you know, the most mundane things became important to feel like you're still maintaining a sense of normalcy with everything that's going on. Anyway. So, yeah. So I ended up just being unemployed for several months, obviously actively job searching and networking. Um, Cause I knew that was important and then got the job offer at Appian in September as a proposal coordinator. So that was my first kind of step into technology industry, software industry, which I, you know, had kind of grazed by technology, you know, in my studies as linguistics, I had done some computational linguistics research mm. in, uh, in college, but not really envisioned that as a path for myself. So it's kind of interesting to end up working at a software company um, as a proposal coordinator, which is like the least technical role of the company. But um, yeah, that was my initial entry into, into the tech field. So what made you pick the job at Appian? Was it at that point desperate desperations to pay rent? <laughs> uh, honestly, looking back, I, I feel like it definitely was the right call financially because I don't know if you know, students can't collect unemployment. So mm, I, I graduated and even though uh, even though I was unemployed and I was actively job searching, I couldn't collect any unemployment benefits because I had just been a student. And a lot of students did go back and live with their parents. And that was not something that I wanted to do or really could do. And I had signed the lease in DC anyway. So 
Uh, so it was definitely getting time per my bank account to, you know, they say you have six months on reserve and I definitely had six, but it was getting to four up there. So I was realizing, yeah, I need to kind of find a job, but, um, yeah, I was actually waiting for a callback from this computational linguistics role at another tech company and they had frozen hiring um, because of COVID and they had said, oh, you know, we'll call you in July. Oh, we'll call you in August. Oh, we'll call you in September. And they just kept pushing it back. So when September rolled around, I was, you know, definitely needing to find something. And a mentor of mine, who's actually another WashU alum, lives in the DC area. He used to work for Appian's CEO, Matt Calkins at MicroStrategy. You know, now this is like 20 years ago now, over 20 years ago. And he remembered Matt so fondly and recalled him as being such a brilliant leader, you know, such, such a genius, I think was the term he used. And he said, oh, you need to take that job offer at Appian. Like, you need to, there's no way around it. You never know what doors it's going to open, what opportunities are going to arise for you there. And, you know, if you're choosing between waiting around and going to Appian, and he worked at the company that I was waiting for, waiting to hear from. So he said, it's against our best efforts to, you know, woo you for me to say this, but I'll be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you definitely you should take the job at, at Appian. So, you know, they, they snagged me in 48 hours from that job offer. But um, yeah, so that was actually the reason it was entirely based on the advice of this mentor um, that I was taking the job offer, but it was really like a gateway into this incredible company run by a wonderful person who had great, you know, ideas around how companies should run and how employees should be treated and the relationships they should have with their work. And, uh, and I didn't know exactly what that meant because it was my first real job out of college. But uh, I've since realized I'm very lucky to be working at Appian as kind of a first step. I think it's setting my, my bar very high for anyone, anywhere else I end up working in my career. Wow. So as you were deciding to go to college and you, and you, and you chose the, the major, what made you choose linguistics? Great. Yeah, I love this question. Um, I didn't know what the field of linguistics was until my freshman year. In high school, I was lucky enough to have several different language offerings at my local public high school. Um, you know, in middle school, sixth grade, they start to guide the students. You know, everyone has to pick a language. You get to choose either Spanish, French, or Mandarin. And, um, you know, most kids, I think most students take Spanish. So I ended up in Spanish in sixth grade not really realizing, you know, that I would be graduating with a Spanish major, whatever, uh, 11 years later, but um, 11 years, let's see, 10 years later anyway. But uh, yeah, so I took Spanish in middle school. And then when I got to high school, they had additional language offerings, Italian, German, uh, American Sign Language, Japanese, but a very small program and, um, and Latin. And I remember meeting this Italian teacher in the local ice cream store in my town. And she was exuberant. Like she just exuded energy and happiness and was like, you have to take Italian. The program is so wonderful. You know, we're very tight knit family, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I still to this day, remember meeting her when I, I think I was in like ninth grade. And so 
I talked to my guidance counselor, whoever at the time, and said, oh, I want to take another language. And, you know, in high school, especially public schools, they're very rigid about their graduation requirements. And I was not in any risk of not graduating. I mean, I was taking the AP track and like doing all the honors classes and whatever and community service and all stuff. And, um, and they, she basically was like, oh, you're not going to have enough gym credits to graduate or you're not going to have enough whatever and health classes or whatever. And I just was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I just want to take a different language, whatever. So, you know, despite all of the red tape, I ended up getting to take Spanish and Italian simultaneously starting in 10th grade. And so I was kind of just keeping up with Spanish. I was like, oh, it's silly to let it drop. I've already been learning it for four years at this point. And I just picked up Italian. It was very easy. I pretty much felt like it was almost identical to Spanish. And Spanish just felt very easy for me as well. Um, you can tell I'm a talker, right? So I think the classes were always just like sitting there chatting with my friends. It didn't really mean anything for it to be in a different language. I was like, you know, great. An hour flies by when they're just conversational exercises and the grammar, the memorization all came very easy to me. So it was super easy to pick up Italian as well. So I was taking um, Spanish and Italian through high school. I took both at the AP level my senior year. And, uh, and this is the unexpected part is at the same time I was involved with this volunteering program with people with autism spectrum disorder called Best Buddies. It's actually a, I think it's an international organization and my local chapter, what they, they had kind of two different components. So one was the mentorship friendship component where I was paired with a person with intellectual differences and developmental differences and her name was Amelia. And so we would meet up and, you know, hang out regularly. And then there was also, we would participate in special Olympics at the end of the year, um, which was wonderful to see, you know, her get to enjoy that. But Amelia had Crudicat syndrome, which is a chromosomal deletion disorder where her fifth chromosome, part of it is missing. And the impact of that is that she, and this is Amelia in specific, this is you know, often a symptom of, of the disorder, but Amelia specifically does not produce language and comprehends language at a, um, at a much lower level than her biological age. So when we met, she was 21 years old and she had the comprehension abilities of a neurotypical, uh, probably like eight or nine year old and did not produce any language at all. And so she had a device like an iPad that she would use to communicate that had several you know, main functions that she could click, you know, want food, want dog, want home, but it was a very, you know, a great reduction of her communicative capacity to have to use this device. And it's unclear exactly like the cognitive functions that go along with, with language. Cause you can't, you know, it's not like surgery in the way you can slice open someone's stomach and see what's going on in the brain. If you slice it open, you still are not sure what's exactly firing. So, um, so it's a bit of a black box there, but she just, you know, didn't have the ability to produce language in the way that most people do. And the language she could produce was greatly, you know, reduced or diminished. And I just, from, you know, high school had this question, like, why is it so easy for me to learn three languages? Like English, right? I'm acquiring English natively, learning Italian and Spanish. Some might even call that acquisition as well since I was in high school. And Amelia doesn't have the ability to acquire even one language because of her chromosomal setup. 
Hmm. And, uh, and that was a question, that was a big burning question for me, even as like a high schooler. So, I mean, the college search is whatever it is. I'm sure, you know, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just like a challenge to kind of find, you know, the right place. And there's all the, whatever you have to jump through a bunch of hoops with the college board and all this stuff. So I ended up at WashU because it's a beautiful campus and a lot of really smart go-getter people go to WashU. And um, in my first semester, I took a, lingu a linguistics course and linguistics is the science of language. It's the study of commonalities across world languages. And right away, every single subfield just resonated with me from syntax to sociolinguistics to neurolinguistics. There was a question for me that I was that I had been dying to answer in every single subfield of linguistics. Um, so it was just a perfect fit. And I knew from my very first semester, like this is what I'm going to study and this is going to be my life passion, which was uh, really rewarding. And I think it took a lot of students a lot longer to find that. But yeah. Wow. That, that is amazing. It's and you're right. It, it, there's many, many people don't really know, even when they start college, sometimes what it is that they're passionate about, what they want to learn, what they want to focus on. So that you had that passion just from the set of circumstances of realizing how easy it is for you to, to learn a language and how, how it was not for somebody else. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. That's awesome. And then you took advantage of that. So, mm -hmm. wow. So, I mean, I know you recently got a promotion. So how did you move from the proposal world? Like you said, you're not naturally a tech person. Or that's not really where your tech, your, your, your career focus was, but you, so you got into the proposal aspect, probably, you know, mostly from your education and, and language stuff. How'd that, mm -hmm. How did you get moved into this new role then? Yeah. So, you know, we're starting to connect the dots here with all the pieces of the story with my linguistics background. But um, as I think a lot of people love to think, and I think these do go hand in hand, but linguists who love language as a concept um, also tend to learn many languages. And it's kind of challenging to talk about in English because in English, we just have this one word language. But in other languages, like in Spanish, they have lenguaje, which is like language, the phenomenon, and lengua, which is like tongue. So it's like the tongues of the world, the languages that are spoken. Mm -hmm. And that differentiation is really helpful because, you know, linguists are, in English, we often use linguists to describe someone who speaks many languages. But in my field, we use linguists to describe someone who is fascinated with the study of the phenomenon of language. Mm -hmm. So... When I was interviewing at Appian and I said, I'm a linguist, they immediately thought, oh, she speaks many languages. Let's throw her in, you know, here. And I do speak several languages, but that's not what I was talking about. So joining the proposal team, they really were intending to leverage my language skills to serve different regions that Appian works with. So Appian's an international company and we have offices in, you know, 27 locations. And, uh, and so I immediately began to work with the um, UK team, the Italy team, the Spain team, um, responding to RFXs in English, Italian, Spanish. And, uh, and so that was kind of something that I initially was brought on for and very quickly mastered that. I really, again, like the structure of the RFXs really was easy for me to capture and grab onto. And then the organizational skills I had learned in my education were really helpful just to kind of be able to work through the requirements arranging who is going to do what, you know, compiling at the end, formatting, having an eye for a beautiful document that always helps. So it, it very easily, it was, it was very quickly easy for me. And so I found myself after a few months kind of parched for something more challenging. 
And again, at the advice of this mentor who you know, keeps cropping up here, he told me to learn the product at any tech company that I work at. Like, it doesn't make sense to be working somewhere if you don't understand what the company does. So I had a lull in my work and I had an opportunity to go through what Appian calls Academy, which is the technical onboarding of, you know, every engineer, every sales engineer, every consultant goes through this program to learn Appian, learn how to develop in Appian. So Appian's low code automation platform. So we have, as I like to call them, engineers who build Appian and we have developers who build in Appian. So this is a program where you learn to build in Appian. And um, so I went through this two week long program and I just felt like for the first time in so long, I was using my entire brain to learn something, to problem solve with new tools. The technology is beautiful and it's powerful. Like it is really, I mean, I've drunk all the Kool-Aid but it is a wonderful product, it's really inspiring. And at the same time, I was using it to try and automate the proposal management process for the proposal team at Appian. So this is dog fooding at its finest. I wanted to use the Appian product to make it easier for Appian to run its business. And that's just something you see a lot at Appian. A lot of people do that because in their spare time, they're, you know, smart, crafty people and they do different things, but um, with Appian, but, you know, for a new developer, as I was at the time to come in and build an Appian was uh, apparently remarkable. So, um, so I built a, I built a proposal management app in Appian, uh, single-handedly over the course of two weeks. And then I brought it to production standards over the next couple of months and released it for use within Appian. And around that time, you know, during that time, I was realizing that it didn't seem so appealing to go back to proposals after everything that I had been doing. So I began to network with an Appian, meet different people in different roles, figure out what my next step was. Uh, and there were a lot of different roles I was considering, um, you know, like consultants, sales engineers, Appian has a whole little team of dog fooders whose you know, whole role it is to build Appian apps for Appian use called Appian business applications team. So I was kind of, you know, asking around, figuring out what was gonna be the right fit and, began to hone in on what's really important to me and what makes me kind of feel engaged in the role. And I wanted something fast. I wanted something technical and I wanted something people oriented. So I started to cross things out the list like engineer. Oh, I don't think that's going to work out. Uh, you know, internal, whoever, well, maybe I want to be customer facing. So maybe not that. And I just kind of went down with that process and ended up realizing that Appian has this great, program for growing sales engineers called the Associate Solutions Consulting Program. And essentially Appian is grooming, you know, smart young people to become sales engineers, learning the sales rituals, becoming product experts, understanding how to listen for, um, for values and goals and business problems to be able to articulate our product positioning to customers and prospects. And that seemed to be a really, really great fit. So that was what led me to take the jump. Nice. So, so you're still early in your career. And so as you've kind of, you know, pr prior to getting this job and even at this job, what's something that you experienced that um, looking back, you go, man, I wish that had gone differently. Or, or maybe those of us in the management positions could reconsider 
you know, uh, I mean, your story is amazing. So you've definitely taken advantage of, of things that Appian's provided you. So maybe there, there isn't anything, but is there, is there anything along your journey that you'd say, at least we should think about? You know, I know you were having a problem getting, you know, of course, during COVID um, when you were looking for a job, but is there something, I don't know, that, that we could take away as a, a way to improve that process for people who are trying to get started in their career? Yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, I've been thinking about is, and this comes from my own self-reflection, but you've heard me talk through, you know, we chatted before and we're talking now and, you know, like I'm somewhat of a generalist. I have a lot of different interests and I am just generally intellectually curious. So knowing that about myself and knowing that there are other people out there like me, you know, I think companies should be looking to hire talent generally. They should be looking to hire people that fit with the company culture, that fit with the company vision. And I think when I was offered a job, they were looking at me with the wrong lens. Mm -hmm. I think they were looking at me through a lens of the role that they were looking to fill. And they could have seen that I, that was not a good fit for me and saved themselves the trouble of training me twice over within a year, right? Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, hiring managers could take into account is, is this person, not only is this person a good fit for this role, but is this role the best fit for that person? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, if you're going to invest money in recruiting, in interviewing, in onboarding, in training, in professional development, if you're trying to groom people to make it to, to, and not every company is trying to do this, obviously, you know, Amazon is incredibly high turnover. They're not trying to invest in this process. Companies like Appian that, that say they care about building pipelines of successful leaders. It was interesting to me that at the first level, they, they were failing themselves in a way, hiring me into the wrong role. So I think that that's something that could definitely be improved and it's something that you see in the college, in the college application process, colleges, they, they ask you what you want to study, but they don't care what you want to say. They know it's going to change. They just want to hire people who fit. And yes, it's, you know, a crazy process, but I think that the job application process could have something to learn there in terms of bringing people on who are generally a good fit and then finding them the right niche by providing them the ability, you know, empowering them to figure that, that out. Hopefully, yeah, it aligns with the roles, but, um, but I think that was a little bit of an oversight in my experience that, that could definitely be, you know, improved upon and for other, for other people. That's interesting. I mean, I've, I've been in industry far, far longer than you. Um, yeah. And, uh, have had in my share of people I've fired, I've hired and then found out they didn't fit the position. So you're, you're absolutely right. Sometimes we do get a little bit myopic and I just need this position filled. Um, and, and maybe when I'm, when I'm interacting with the people I'm interviewing and finding a great candidate, maybe it's about the great, like you said, the great candidate for the company, maybe if it's, even if it's not this role. Uh, and that would be very, a, a, a new and interesting approach. That would, I think that'd mm -hmm. be very helpful for us to consider because you're right, we don't wanna lose out the opportunity to, to bring on somebody we think would be great for the company, uh, even though they may not be perfect for this role. Mm -hmm. um, and there should be some internal way to communicate that to others to say, hey, right. um, you know, a solution, uh, associates, here's uh, somebody we think you might want to check out uh, that right. in this interview process. Yeah. 
you're right, there's not a lot of internal mechanisms for that at most places. It's not an Appian problem for sure. It's, it's everywhere I've been. Um, and I do think it'd be more common among, you know, recent graduates, recent college graduates. Those are the people who are so malleable and impressionable. You really come out of, and particularly people with a liberal arts education, come out with the ability to learn and the ability to think critically. And those are important skills in every job. Yeah. So we're almost just kind of choosing the fate and the reality for these college graduates by allowing them to just take whatever job they end up with the first time. Because a lot of, you know, recent college graduates, they're not comparing job offers. Right. They left in. Quite desperate for that first job. Right. So. Particularly now, particularly now. But I think generally, like, you know, they're not applying to that many things or they apply to a handful of things and they get one offer and they take the offer. There isn't really that comparison mm -hmm. the way when you are already a professional and you have a job and you are job searching from a position of having a job, you can say, here's, you know, a bird in the hand and two in the bush and which one, you know, do I want to go with? So it's a different, it's a different position to be job searching and allows you to think more critically about what is important to you and where the role might serve you in the future. That's so true. So, so Becca, where do you see yourself in the future? Which kind of your, you know, mid to, you know, distant plan at this point? My mid to distant plan. Um, well, I definitely see myself in people management at some point. I think that's a path for me. I have a lot of interest in, in working on a team and in building team cohesion, so to speak. Um, so I'm, you know, right now I'm in a, an individual contributor role that feeds into another individual contributor role that feeds a third individual contributor role. So that I'm probably, this is probably a distant plan at this point in terms of the track I'm on, but um, that's definitely something I keep in the back of my head. And in my spare time, I'm fortunate enough to have access to LinkedIn learning and these other sort of uh, Lego, whatever, like subscriptions to these uh, learning resources for me to take courses on effective communication and teams and empathetic listening techniques. Obviously, these are things that are personally interesting to me, but also I know help feed an ultimate career in management right. uh, if I know that's what I'm interested in. Oh, fantastic. Well, I am looking forward to seeing that journey for you, Becca, and uh, keeping in touch with you as, as you do it. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. Really appreciate it.